Welcome to the Biodiversity Podcast, an oasis of thought giving space and time to the matters of life around us and how we can support it. Together, we will dive into different topics of biodiversity and hopefully fill your tool belt with the knowledge to make a small difference yourself. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. It's been a while, and we are back in the studio here at Green Academy. This is your host, Zoe, and with me today, I have my colleague and producer, Boncho. Hi, everybody. So today we decided, since it's been a while, that we would like to make an end-of-the-year special. And this special will be very informal, our idea and a, a bit of a discussion, a, a friendly discussion, about biodiversity, just running through different very factual things that we have introduced you to over the summer this year. So, Bancho, is there somewhere you would like to start? Well, I guess biodiversity is such a buzzword. Everybody loves talking about biodiversity. Yeah. There has got to be some common misconceptions that people have about biodiversity. I've, I've heard different examples of um, people thinking that if they just let everything grow in their garden without trimming the hedges without cutting the grass, then that's it. There's nothing okay. else you can do. Just just let it all grow. What, what, <laughs> what would you say to those people? Well, I would maybe say doing that is maybe uh, a tiny bit, or it is more biodiverse than trimming everything or trying to control everything. But there is also some it, misconceptions, as you call it, about that. And uh, maybe the most common one would be that what will, quote unquote, naturally grow if we just let it will maybe not be uh, plants that are native, indigenous. that are native. Yeah, yeah. indigenous plants. Mm -hmm. it, it will actually be I, I think sometimes they're actually called the dirty dozen of the uh, Danish culture, yeah, Danish garden yeah. culture. Yeah. Agriculture, the yeah. dirty dozen of agriculture. And these are plants that have um, developed to thrive so well based on the way we've been producing or maintaining monoculture. So uh, they're maybe, uh, they're definitely not the native plants that we would like, mm -hmm. uh, but they will be the ones that will compete yeah. very well. In Danish garden culture, you have this expectancy of, of what a garden is supposed to look like. You know, you have the living yeah. hedges and it's very few types of living hedges. And then you have the big grass lawn as big as possible. Yeah. Uh, right. Because that also means low maintenance. And we tend to consider ourselves busy people. And the lower the maintenance you have in your garden, then that's widely considered a plus. Yeah. And uh, 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 sorry, I'm interrupting you because this low maintenance thing, I actually would like to add something to it because low maintenance, sometimes you think it's because I have to go out not a bunch of times and cut the hedge or mow the lawn or uh, pluck some weeds, something like that. But I think also low maintenance can be considered when you say you don't have that many different plants, low maintenance can also be considered that you don't have to think about having a lot of different plants and what their needs are. I think that it's one of the misconceptions that the more variety you have with plants, the more work you have, which is not necessarily true. It's not necessarily true, no. <laughs> but the thing is that we have these 
stringent ideas of of how we're supposed to maintain things. And well, within the summer period in Denmark, the lawn has to be mown <laughs> twice uh, a week. Yeah, uh, if in you order want to, that. to have that yeah. perfect length. And, <laughs> and guys, for the ones of you that don't live in Denmark, the perfect length of the grass is not more than two and a half centimeters, <laughs> maybe three centimeters. Okay. Yeah. And and then you're considered you're considered a good gardener, someone that takes care of their garden. But if you were to speak to a biologist, then they would say, well, your grass lawn is basically a green desert. Yeah, it's it, uh, in biodiverse aspect. It's uh, basically a bit of a disaster. Yeah, because yeah. there's so much potential that gets lost. Yeah. I mean, pretty much all of the species, there's about six or seven species that, that dominate in, in your grass lawn, especially here in Northern Europe, right? Yeah. And none of them are indigenous, and none of them are contributing <laughs> to supporting the various aspects of life. Most of the species that live in your grass lawn, some of them are parasites, and they're not really the species that you want to support. They're not endangered species. No, and they don't. Um, like every living creature has its purpose, even if we have deemed it to be one of the bad guys. But the, of course, um, some of them contribute a bit more than others. Of course, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned the bad guys because we have these certain ideas in Northern Europe of what the bad guys are. Yeah. And there are certain plants, weeds, right? There are certain weeds that we don't want to have in our garden beds. There are certain weeds that we don't have on the side of the road. And many of those are actually indigenous species. And, and they are actually a key to the existence of, of many other species. And, and we try, we, we have so many different various ways to try and destroy them. And we're trying to get as effective in yeah. destroying them as possible because we've deemed them weeds and <laughs> therefore bad. Yeah, and it, it is just really, really funny how this has even come to be that, well, let's just take a dandelion, very innocent. Absolutely. If you look at it from a grand perspective, very innocent plant. And how did that one become one of the most hated weeds that there is? It, it, it's just very interesting that it has come so far. And actually, in, in quite a short while, it's not, it's maybe... Gardening the the last 70, 80 years, mm -hmm. would you say? Yeah. Where all of these, the way we think what is natural today has, has actually evolved. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a dandelion remover. And it's not because they're <laughs> not pretty. I actually like the color of dandelions, but um, they're deemed to be bad. And therefore, you should destroy them. And it's the same with uh, with the bellies. They... The yeah. common grass lawn daisy. What's up with that? Why, why do we need to get rid of it? I have no idea. It is a very, uh, I think our gardens maybe have grown to reflect how our society has developed. And it has maybe developed into um, a very perfectionist way of life. And, and that can spin into a very big political uh, talk about how we've developed as a uh, human beings, but let's keep it at the at the biodiversity for now. Yeah. So, um, is there other common misconceptions that you you find? Well, the, there's the common misconception of wild cannot be pretty. It can never be aesthetic. It it will always go against the sense of order. And the sense of order is very important for us here. It's what we thought from little kids, that, that everything needs to have a certain order, your garden mm. as well. 
and many people say, well, if we just let it grow wild, then it looks ugly. Yeah. But, but there's there there's so many ways to to have wild and aesthetically pleasing at the same time, and people often don't realize that. So I think that's one of the big misconceptions, one of the big sinners that's that's holding people back from from doing something in their gardens in order to preserve or support, I would say, biodiversity. Yeah. And it might also be that we find the wilderness uh, overwhelming mm -hmm. when we look at it and we then look at, but what is my task? What do I have to do in the garden? And you look at something that looks very chaotic, then you get overwhelmed because it just, it seems so big, the task you have to do. So, um, so you therefore try and get rid of the wild and just do something that seems very simple. All the while, there's actually more work to be done with keeping it stringent. Simple, and yeah. And, yeah, and simple. There's much more work to be done. It really has. And a lot of people, I've had many uh, clients that actually, if they, you know, we talked about lawns, if you actually want that quote unquote perfect or well-maintained lawn that, that is um, free of weeds, it's an an endless amount of work you have to put in just to have a green lawn, which doesn't contribute with anything yeah. for you, any joy or any, it's, it's basically just to look at maybe and, and play some ball once in a yeah. while. And I don't want to talk down on anybody, but there's, there's a lot of pensioners that say, well, my hobby is my garden. So they, they yeah. go with their little uh, pruning shears and, and remove every single bit of growth that they deem, um, unfathomably wild okay uh, and they end up with well a lot of work it has to be their hobby because it takes a lot of time doesn't it it does yeah, yeah. I, I think that is the the image of the grandparents that are working every weekend in their garden that our generation finds frightening because we have a lot of students of course at the school that are our generation and younger that enjoy dealing with plants mm. And they would like to spend time on it, but they would not like to be forever bound to it, of mm -hmm. course. Who who would want that? It's a different perception of what gardening is, mm -hmm. I think. Do you think that our generation, well, uh, I probably should say we're both born, well, we're both millennials, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that our generation will feel the same way when we're pensioners that will have to spend every single hour trimming the garden? No. It's, we too obviously have a different perspective. Yeah. But a lot of people, they, they just go with the flow, you know, thinking that if, if you have order in your garden, then you have order in your life. Yeah. Do, yeah, do you I see that see perspective that. changing in the future? I can, uh, well, maybe it's just my, uh, my own influence of, of what I'm interested in. But I think also there is a, a big pull in our generation towards the more wild, towards the more natural, towards less con less outer control let me call it that because there could be a bigger pull towards inward control like controlling yourself mm -hmm. and less controlling the environment around you whereas it's, it, it might have been a bit more different beforehand it was about controlling things outside yourself yeah and there's still different areas in Denmark where you, if you actually do not take proper care of your garden then your neighbor can um, can form a proper complaint 
Yes, there is that, but there's also this more unspoken, that's very direct, you know, getting a complaint, but there's the, I guess, unspoken shaming of how you keep your garden, where the neighbors can talk about, oh, you must not be this and this kind of person because your garden looks messy. So unfortunately, that might have been the start of what has caused this uh, rampant way of trying to be perfect. And uh, hopefully there is a change in our in our culture in that in, in many aspects, not just uh, the green yeah. the green area, right? And of course, there's the oldest misconception of them all that the gardener's or the landscaper's garden is the messiest of them all because look at him, he has a compost heap and that has a pungent odor every now and then. And mm. um, yeah, he's, he's letting things grow uh, a bit higher and wilder than, than we would do. And um, he's not getting rid of all the plant material that he's trimming and so on. Yeah. So, so there's there's that old school misconception of the gardener's garden is the worst one to look at. <laughs> yeah, it, it maybe, probably, yeah. But we still admire, there's, there's something very human about admiring things that are that are symmetrical that are perfect that are a something special something you've also worked on there's a certain pride that you've created something we we just maybe have to turn our view a little bit on that you can also create something else yeah instead of it being more of this one way of looking at it kind of a balance between you creating and nature also mm-hmm. having a part in it. I guess some of our listeners would would like the thought of their garden looking like the gardens in Versailles. Yeah. Uh, but, but can you guys imagine how much work that is? How many thousands upon thousands of gardeners it took to take care of the Versailles, even if you had a little mini area in your garden, if you have to abide by the laws of, of Baroque gardening, that would basically take up all of your time but the funny thing is about this because i don't i don't think we should deny our history in gardening because when i've designed gardens for my clients you can actually mix the two styles if you want that structure and that structured artistic feel of the baroque era where everything is very symmetrical and it is in in these shapes you can maybe create raised beds and inside of those, you can have the wild. So you can combine it with having a structure that pleases you and calms you down alongside with then inside of it, letting it go a little bit, being more natural. So it's not uh, impossible. It's not either or. You can actually mix a lot of stuff. Because I guess when you raise the bed, you're naturally introducing the, the straight shapes you're giving a frame, right? Yeah, yeah, you're creating a frame, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that I think for us, also as you said, busy people, we consider ourselves like we have many other hobbies we would like to fulfill as well. The The fact that it looks easier because it's in a frame, it, it looks more manageable because it's not just flowing all over. It's a, a trick maybe of the brain that it helps us think, I can do this. Yeah, I would agree. So Christmas is upon us. It is, yeah. End of the year. End of the year, yeah. And I was thinking, I heard this great thought by quite a famous English gardener. He said, think of your garden as a canvas. Every single year, you can start fresh. 
would that be a good idea if we try to preserve biodiversity in our garden? Hmm. Interesting thought. What do you think he meant by start fresh? I think what he basically meant by it is that you can remove all the elements that you already have and try and introduce something new to your garden, a new style, a new concept, a new wow. framework. See, that would be a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I would uh, die slowly if I had to do that. But then you would have good business as a garden designer. <laughs> um, that is true. But I've always, like with my clients, I worked for some years in a, in a garden shop and I would advise people on how to, you know, get, because so many people were frustrated. They wanted to either if they had a garden in planters or if they had small uh, beds or if they had a huge garden, they wanted to do something with it and utilize it. But we're also very overwhelmed on where to start, that they, this, what you're saying a lot, especially when we're talking in planters on a patio where you spend a lot of time, you know, you eat your maybe dinners, lunches there, you, you have guests. It's, it's very overwhelming every spring to start filling all the plants. It's also costly, by the way. I would kind of advise them to divide and conquer. So in, in some of it, and I would also say in a garden, I, I feel like the majority in a garden should be something that stays there for years and years and years. If you have to remove something, that you really consider what you're removing and what lives on with and on and off of those plants. Like when you're saying that you just remove hedges, mm. well, that would be... I don't think anybody does that. Uh, that would be removing value, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it. And I, I think reconsider the whole wiping the canvas mm. and start anew and anew and anew. I think it's it will be difficult for us as humans, for our brains to keep doing that. It will be very costly and it will be quite unrealistic that you can do that every year. Think also about removing the joy of watching a plant grow a, a tree you've planted yeah. removing the joy of watching that become its own micro ecosystem yeah and then not to speak of that what, what you started off asking it's a it's a catastrophe when it comes to biodiversity nothing can settle the european commission they have this biodiversity strategy for 2030 and actually the way they describe it is is quite interesting because the only thing they say preserving the value of Europe's natural capital. So we have to preserve what's already there. That's step one. Yeah. A lot of people think that, okay, we have to wipe all this off. All this is wrong. We have to start a whole new trend of wild sources, indigenous, and so on and so forth, mm -hmm. And which is right in a sense, because when you're doing something new, then, then you would have to consider those things. But let's start by preserving what we already have. If you have an old tree in your garden, think about how much that is a gift not only for your garden, but for the gardens around it as well. And and it doesn't have to be like, I think because you're then thinking like, oh no, what I have in the garden right now, uh, maybe a lot of it is not indigenous and I have to get rid of it in order to follow the right recipe of indigenous plants. But hold on a minute, because even though these plants you already have are not indigenous and do not maybe have 100% value for many, many insects and many different uh, faunal inter interactions, they still have value in some way or another. 
Yeah, because mm. a, a tree that's maybe not indigenous will still have birds living, nesting in it. It's better than a slab of concrete, isn't it? It is, yeah. and it's better than nothing. And then it also provides shade for other plants. It sponges up a lot of the water that yeah. comes to downpour. It provides a cooling yeah, effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it has a lot of functions, even though it's not necessarily 100% the biodiverse function we are thinking of. Yeah. So maybe preserve them as long as you can. Yeah. And uh, think very strategically what you would like to remove and when. You know, we, we always think above ground because that's the part we can see. But if you think yeah. about what's going on below the ground, the, the mycelia, the, the network that, that takes a long time to create, that is developing, that is connecting all the plants and is functioning like an internet of plants and fungi. Exactly. You, you disrupt that every single time you remove something. So those connections have to be created again. And, um, and when, when you mention this, it gets me thinking, what else will disrupt this mycelia that we are also very actively using today other than removing soil or plants? Well, we're introducing a lot of difficult chemical compounds to our soil, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And our guy, and I'm not going to name his name, uh, he's, he's quite close to me and I love him to bits, but uh, the way that he removes weeds from his grass lawn is by introducing just a little bit of gasoline, just a little drop <laughs> of gasoline to that weed. And he says, it's gone. And it's, and it's very effective. He says, and look at my lawn. It's brilliant. And it's, yeah. it's only one species. And uh, yeah, it, it ruins an ecosystem, doesn't it? Imagine introducing gasoline to to what's already uh, quite a, a pressed ecosystem beneath in the soil yeah yeah i don't think it does any good for the for the worms i don't think it does any good for the structure of the soil i don't no. think it does any good for the chemical compound of the soil for its prerequisites to host new life because you're you're weakening the micro life that is in the soil and the micro life in the soil, the the fungi that are living there, and there's many different kinds of fungi, not just like one fungi, but many different kinds and all the micro life. So you're minimizing those and then you're hoping that your garden will look and beam of uh, of health. Uh, but you're taking away, so much of what actually helps it be healthy. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a misunderstanding of mm. what biology is. Yeah, All of us know what it takes to have a happy gardener, but what does it take to have a happy garden? What is, <laughs> what is nature's point of view in all of this? Exactly. Well, Bancho, this is, um, this is a special, as you guys can hear. It is basically us sharing our thoughts and views on you while also in a very informal way. And for today, I hope you have enjoyed listening to this type of podcast from us. And please, if you would like to hear more of these kinds, we can definitely do that and make specials every now and again. Leave a comment or send us a message what you would like, maybe what topics you would like or uh, conundrums for us to talk about in the future. This is Zoe and Boncho from Green Academy in Aarhus, Denmark, thanking you for this time, for this year, and wishing you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Happy holidays, guys. 
You've been listening to another edition of the Biodiversity Podcast. This program is supported by Green Academy Aarhus. Join us next time and remember you are already a part of the change we all need.